Welcome to Spartan Speak, a production of the Lansing State Journal, Detroit Free Press, and USA Today Network. I am Graham Couch, the Lansing State Journal, alongside Chris Solari from the Detroit Free Press, and we are happy to take you on a journey of Michigan State basketball, maybe a little football, uh, maybe even touch on hockey. One of these weeks, we're going to have Nate Bot on. I keep saying that, and I and I we we didn't set it up this week, but we will we will get that done because I do want to. Um, I just I think. Uh, it's beyond worth talking about at this point, and it's it's been malpractice on my part that we we, we have not had Nate on from the Lansing State Journal to to break down some 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 MSU hockey. Well, it's it's been a tough time because we've had so many back to back road trips here in the last month uh, that hasn't really allowed for it. Quite honestly, yeah. Little secret about Nate too is he he can sometimes he is a busy man too. So getting getting his schedule to coincide, he's not somebody who's just doing nothing sitting around waiting for the uh, waiting for the call like us correct correct this is this is yeah this is it for us today um so Michigan State we are recording this on um and we're going to get into some some football at the spring game and, and and uh being announced as well in a little bit but Michigan State basketball uh beat Michigan on Tuesday night we were recording this Wednesday afternoon uh 81 uh, a game that was you know they trailed most of the first half, almost the entire first half, into the first minute for a minute of the second half, and then a 16-1 run, and things changed. Izzo 700th win, a, a win they really had to have. Um, and so let, let's start there because, I mean, I, I do think there are some things we're seeing with this team, and we've now seen for a while, sort of baseline of quality, Chris, where you can count on them to um, – have resolve at home, have that spurtability at home. They've been down a lot in the second half of teams that have hung in there for a while, and then they deliver a knockout blow. That That's a gear this team seems to have, and um, I think that is something that we'll get into what happened at Wisconsin and what that says about some stuff long term. But at the very least, for a team that needs to put some wins together here, that's a pretty good sign. Yeah, I completely agree. Um, it, it, it that it's in them, and, and that's the thing that I mean. Even when you look back to that Arizona game, and and all the way back, maybe somewhat to the Duke game, they've shown their ability is there to be a high level team. Um, the consistency is something that Tom Izzo has struggled to get out of this group, and I, I think you know what we saw on Tuesday night with Jay Nakins is. Quite honestly, between Jade Nakins and AJ Hogard, the type of ceiling that this team has. I mean, it was an off night for Tyson Walker, and you know we can talk a little bit about this, but um, I think physically he's getting beaten up right now um, in a lot of different ways. You know, from the opponents bodying him and playing sometimes overly physical, uh, the books out there. Uh, on, on what to do to him. And I think his body right now is taking a little bit of punishment at this midseason point. But if you get Jaden Akins and A.J. Hogard playing like they were uh, against Michigan, particularly in that second half for Hogard, uh, you see the ceiling for this team. Um, you know, it, it, it's reliant on the guards making shots and making plays and, and then getting little contributions here or there from the big men and and a steady Malik Hall. So, um certainly some things to to really build on but there are also the the 
disparities in rebounding still there, the the struggles uh, defending the arc in the first half. There, there, there certainly were things. It's funny because Tom Izzo, you would expect, you know, I guess, depends on who you are. I think most fans would expect him to come out of that game beating Michigan and having his birthday and all that and getting the 700th win to be happy. But I think he started with the problems and, and fixing the problems. And that's that's kind of his MO right now at the midpoint of the Big Ten season. There are a couple of interesting things you, you said there. One, the rebounding is they've, they've been out-rebounded in seven of their 10 Big Ten games, right? And so I was talking to Malik Hall in the locker room yesterday about, you know, what, what does it take to for you guys to get where you want to go? When are you at your best? And he's like, it's it's as old as time. It's it's defend, rebound, and run. And it's grab the rebound before you run. But it's, And I said, well, are you guys capable of doing that? <laughs> and he said, and he said, he goes, yeah, I mean, it's got to be collective. He goes, it's hard, but we have to dig in and do that. And they're not a team that's built uh, to be a great rebounding team. I don't think they tried to be a bad rebounding team. But they're, they're, their weakness at the five spot is glaring in this. Malik Hall is a solid rebounder, not a great rebounder. They could use, uh, you know, Jaden Akins can be a very good rebounding guard, but he's not a big wing. He's sort of a third guard. So you're not, you know, you can say, well, for a guard, he's a really good good rebounder but he's he's playing small forward he's at the three right um so that that is a that is a challenge at times for them and and and, and you know you, you bring up the ceiling and, and what we saw i mean they beat the the 14th you know place team in the big 10 now michigan is underachieved to some degree they have better talent than there have been years where there's like a god-awful 14 14th place team that is not michigan in terms of just pound for pound talent and they've been in games and they fade and they, you know, they got all sorts of issues going on over there. Um, but I, I, what, what I think people want for their ceiling is to be, you know, a contender. And I, I think so. While it, it's it's good news in the sense, I did not think this is a bubble team, and I am annoyed by that sort of inference, just because I think it's 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 somewhat ignorant. Like it's obviously if they had lost last night. Or if if they don't take care of business, but we've seen them be bubble teams. We've seen many years, I mean many, but we've seen several years, Chris, where they've been a bubble team. This is not that. There is no backcourt this good that's going to be a bubble team if they play to their ability. Uh, unfortunately for them, though, we saw at Wisconsin when they have to face a team with size, um, and they face a team with a pro a pro in the wing, and that's that's a tough matchup. Wisconsin's pretty good, but I don't know that they beat Wisconsin if they play. You know, they may win one or two times out of ten on a neutral court, and that's that's a problem because what this team is is very much matchup dependent, not matchup anywhere near matchup proof. And so, while they can get on a run, uh, if they're going to be able to withstand certain types of matchups, they're going to have to get better as a team, and that involves more than just their top four guys. It's great when Jaden Akins has a big game, and if he got on a stretch where he was really hot, that could elevate them. Um, you know, but and, and their four guys are the key guys, and we see that because they were in for the first six minutes of the second half, and that's when they make the run. But I think it's important that guys like Cohen Carr, guys like Jackson Kohler, uh, you know, guys like uh, you know even Xavier Booker, that somebody else on this team, you, you, you get some levels raised, even if it's smaller roles off the bench, because they need their ceiling to raise to to get anywhere real. Yeah, I think, and you know, we may be talking about. Um, you know, the guys that haven't played as much. I think the two bigs who have played as much need, I mean, what this team needs to do, and I think you saw it in the second half, um, they finally got out and ran. And they, I mean, it was a 17-4 to spurt on the break against Michigan on, on Tuesday. 
And that's where this team needs those big men to to really contribute. We saw it once with Carson Cooper running the lane and getting a, uh, an and one uh, on an over-the-top pass from Hogar. But they need those bigs. You know, if you're not going to be able to contribute in the half court, you got to be able to run the lane and keep up with the guards. And the, both Sissoko and Cooper have shown that they can do that at times. And that's where their offensive contribution is going to be. I mean, listen, we all know that, that the big men have struggled to catch the ball and score in the low post. But you can get contributions that way, and you can get contributions on the defensive side from those guys. Um, but I think you're right about this the matchup proofness, if that's a word for this team. I mean, it's, I like it to be Wisconsin, a word. Yeah. Well, Wisconsin and Purdue, you look at them, and and I think what what it is though, you used to say the last couple of years about Purdue, it's like Noah's Ark. They got two of everything. I think Wisconsin kind of looks like that right now, too, although they don't have two A.J. stores. And that was, uh, I, I mean, when in December when we watched that Wisconsin team, I don't think people realized how much different and how good of an addition store was to that team. And now, you know, as we head into February, I think that's that reality is kind of coming into existence after watching him really just torch A.J. Hogard and anybody that MSU threw on him. Uh, for his 28 points. I mean, you know, that's, you know, but but again, we talk about Michigan State's guards. That's a situation where Hogard's playing against a bigger guy. Um, guy hits absolute bomb from, you know, five, eight feet behind the arc. Then Hogard goes out to challenge him and gets blown by uh, a little later with, with mem- muscle memory going on. So, yeah, I mean, this isn't a perfect team. I mean, I think, and that's, I mean, that may be the, most no kidding statement that I've said on this podcast, and that's and there's been a few, but I mean, the, if the sum of the parts can come together on a consistent basis, I mean, you know, there's ten games left in the Big Ten regular season. I think you get six, seven wins. Um, you're looking pretty good at, at heading into to the Big Ten tournament. Yeah, and, and I think that's the frustrating thing for people is that this was supposed to be a, a top 10 team. They were supposed to be in the Wisconsin and Purdue place, or that's what the hope was. And th- there are some stark realities. At this point, there's no question that they should have addressed the center position. And it would not have been to, um, it would not have been any indictment on Carson Cooper or Jackson Kohler, really. Those guys are sophomores. And if people remember, like Matt Costello until midway through his junior year was a below average offensive center yeah. in the Big Ten. And people remember him differently because of the way he finished. They're not yet in their real performance years for guys of the pedigree. And so it, what it would have been was sort of a, an indictment on where Mati Sissoko is in his career. And, and I, you know, that's okay. You know, this is, you can like Sissoko all you want, but this is big boy basketball. And it just had, you know, he's not a starting quality center in the Big Ten. There aren't, they just don't have many matchups where they win. Uh, day in and day out, and if they had a you know a grad transfer or and there have been a couple good ones that have, that have are, are elsewhere this year, and MSU has the NIL money and the cachet that could have been in on that, they might have been a different team. But what's done is done. Like you can lament on that, or you can you can hope this team can get somewhere, and and um and so that that's really the question now. And and I do think like they have a chance. Like you look at their next seven games, it was an eight game stretch. Before Purdue, but they're next. They've played one of them now, but the next seven games they're favored on Ken Palm in all seven. Now Illinois is a tough game. There are a couple of difficult games in there. You could trip on the road, uh, and then it's Northwestern and Indiana. After that, 
like there's a you know after after Purdue there, there's a decent chance that they get to um, you know 13-7, 14-6 in the Big Ten if they really handle their business. They could still be a six seed in the NCAA tournament. They could still be in a decent spot. Um, the real question for me is by the end of the year is less about that than about what they're ultimately capable of doing when they face difficult matchups. And they put a lineup together, Chris, yesterday. It was only a minute in the first half, but I thought it was really interesting. They were struggling at the time, yeah. and Izzo goes with Trey Holloman at the point. I called it the lineup of dreams in the quick takes because it, <laughs> yeah. it, was, it was Trey Holloman at the point, and then it was Jay Nakins at the two, a place where he's in more of a ball-handling position, which he wants for himself. Uh, and, and, and then it was uh, Cohen Carr at the three, which everybody wants, obviously. Yep. <laughs> That's like the biggest. And then it was Xavier Booker and Jackson Kohler inside, and to play those guys together, and it was like a one-minute three-to-three. Xavier Booker banked in a three, but it was a competitive minute and a big moment setting in the game. And I thought it was Izzo basically saying, I am open to the development of something else here. Now, in the second half, yeah. when he plays six straight minutes of the key guys, other than subbing Carson Cooper and for Mati Sissoko in the middle of that, he's saying these other guys are going to get done, and, and they are. Those four are critical. Um, and, and sometimes I think he ought to play them longer stretches even earlier. But um, – I, I don't. I, I, I'm curious to see if does Booker can Booker become a plus player by the end of the year? Because right now he's still not like defensively. But he did something yesterday I thought was really important. He picked up a foul, a hard foul underneath. Yes. That all season long for him has been an and one for the other team because he doesn't foul hard enough and they get both the layup and the bucket, or he doesn't foul at all and he fouled hard. Like you've got five fouls, you're not going to play enough to ever be in foul trouble, Xavier Booker. If you're underneath and somebody's going to score. Take him out, and and he did that. And then you know, I I, I thought that was re- really important. Even before that, he grabbed a rebound right after he checked in. Um, so there were a couple yep. things there that I thought in that sequence that he showed. I mean, the banked in three pointer. You know, I, I, you know he's he's if you watch him on offense, he's going nowhere inside the arc. He is perched outside the arc, um, and that's going to show up on a scouting report. And you know that's that's. It's okay in short little spurts, but I mean, you can't. I mean, it's six eleven, six ten, six eleven. You can't really be uh, hovering around the arc. You still got to be able to contribute something inside, and and getting those rebound there, and and you know, even at the end of the game, you know, you go back and watch. Uh, he grabbed the last rebound of the game, and Michigan still had their starters in, and Michigan State had. You know, it wasn't like I think Davis Smith was the only non non uh, rotation player in at that moment, and you know, we all heard the Davis Smith story in the locker room, which was pretty interesting. It was kind of cool for him to get a minute there, but Booker grabbing that board at the end um, to me was another moment where he said, "Oh, okay, that that'd be in- that's interesting that that's how that played out in this game because." Those little building blocks, that, I mean, even Tom Izzo, when he was t- addressing the Breslin crowd, he pointed to the things that Booker did and pointed to the things that Jackson Kohler did and the block, that ma- massive block that, Car- that, that uh, Colin Carr had coming from the weak side uh, against Nakora that was one of the best blocks, pure straight basketball blocks I've seen uh, in that building uh, in my time. So... There were there were little contributions there that I think. Do you need Booker and Kohler to to become ten and ten guys? No, you need them to add some things that the other guys aren't. 
Right. I mean, Carr has a yeah. The, the block was amazing. He has a really good downhill drive where he, he bullies a guy and scores over him. I think those are important things. Uh, I do think he should probably play more minutes. He needs to rebound a little better um, because he does not grab yeah. any rebounds now. He needs to defend better too. Yeah, he he did have a um, one that could have been a rebound, and then he had another one where Sissoko knocks the ball out of his hand. Sissoko costs his team about his teammates about three rebounds a game when they're both going for balls and. They kind of give way to him, and then he doesn't hang on to it, and, and yeah. whatever. But that's sort of that's sort of who he is at this point. And again, you, you got to deal with that. What I do think, like at the center position, they they have to. I, I really think they're they're more Kohler like disperse those minutes pretty equally. Now matchup dependent. If, if if Cooper comes in and he's playing really well, you ride that. If if Sissoko's having one of those games where he's an impact guy. Uh, and it's working with him. You ride that, Kohler. You ride that. But but if you kind of go in with the idea that you're looking at sort of a, you know a, you know a fourteen fourteen and twelve or thirteen thirteen whatever situation. Everybody's playing about the same amount of minutes. And when they're in, they're playing their butt off. That's I think your best opportunity at that position. You know I don't think you ever want to see Cooper and Sissoko together. Uh, I I do think Kohler as a four works some because what he does offensively. Again, you don't want to be three on five offensively ever on the court. Uh, in terms of, and, and and I don't mean that entirely. Like Sissoko is a good screener, and there are things he does within the framework of the offense. But when you when you have two guys who can't you get you a bucket with the ball in their hands, that's a problem. Um, and so, but I I like to see those minutes a little more evenly distributed and sort of because um, I do think there will be a game or two coming up where we see Kohler really make an impact. I think he's close to that, and I think the matchups. At certain points, will 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 play to his favor. You brought up something that I wanted to get into uh, from the Michigan game, the Davis Smith thing. Um, I think one of the cool things from last night, or from from uh, from Tuesday night, is you know how important. Like one of the things Izzo really has going for him still, and I think it lingers with the guys he has on his team now. I think. Uh, it'll be interesting if he can keep sustaining it as the transfer portal becomes more and more prevalent, and you know, are, is he going to have a roster that's continuity? But he really does have a program that is that people care about, that have been around, you know, that have played for him over the last thirty years. A lot of guys coming back. Um, you know, Steve Smith, who played for Judd Heathcote when Izzo was an assistant, his son Davis Smith is is a walk on on the team, and at halftime in the locker room, Davis Smith implored really impassionately let into the guys uh, the details of the stats they weren't doing the what they needed from from each guy and and what they needed to do to uh to win that game and how important it was in that moment that that you know the 700th win the rivalry all of that um you know as I was talking to Steven Izzo about it and he just said you know it was, it was something he is he's seen bits and pieces of that from Davis, but never in that setting because I think there have been moments where you know Tyson Walker talked about it yes he did a game or two ago where he looked over and see, uh, and, and David Smith was giving him a look. And so there's a leadership component on a team that doesn't necessarily have great natural vocal leaders. Um, and that was that was a really interesting dynamic and I think a legacy moment for David Smith that was pretty cool. Do you know who he was uh, mostly getting into in the locker room? A.J. Hogard. And it's funny yeah. because I talked to Hogard afterward and he said that he, he, he was kind of scared because uh, he'd never seen Davis Smith like that. And, you know, he, he admitted that it was mostly directed toward him. And, you know, he, he talked about that. And he, he knows, and I think he said that, you know, Davis Smith was born into this. 
born into the yeah. rivalry, and he kind of teaches the guys uh, a lot of things, and he runs the scout team in a lot of ways, and um, you know, that's those that you know, that and Stephen Izzo's basket against Rutgers. I mean, those are intangible things that become momentum, that become galvanizing moments and galvanizing uh, propositions for the rest of the guys that are in the playing group. And, you know, Izzo loves, uh, Tom Izzo loves the walk-ons. I mean, he has talked about the Iron Mountain team, which is basically something that he's called his walk-ons over the years, um, you know, for many years because he was a walk-on. And, you know, I think that goes back to his roots. And David Smith really, in a lot of ways, goes back to the roots of Tom Izzo, the recruiter. You know, because, yeah. I mean, think about where Judd Heathcote might have been had Izzo not gotten Steve Smith out of Detroit at that point. Because, I mean, the luster of the 79 championship had faded. They were having some real down years in, in the mid to late 80s and then brings Steve Smith in and they win a Big Ten title and Judd can ride off into the sunset and then point Tom Izzo as his head coach in waiting. So, I mean, a, a lot of people kind of forget the importance of Steve Smith to the program and Davis Smith, I think, is really carried that that legacy over uh, in the Michigan game in that locker room because it wasn't just Hogard who was talking about it. Hall was talking about it, mm-hmm. and Jay Nakins talked about it, and you mentioned Stephen Izzo talked about it. I mean, it was it was enough of an impact, and I think for Tom Izzo, and I think I'd heard this from at least one of the guys, and I couldn't find it. Uh, but I could I could see Tom Izzo standing in the corner of the locker room just letting him go because that's what he wants. He wants a player-led team. And however it's going to be, whether it be Davis Smith or A.J. Hogard or Jeremy Fears, who is moving around a little better but still not back to basketball, he wants leaders. He wants the, that locker room to have the leadership. People wonder why he's always in guys' faces or yelling at them and challenging them because at some point he needs and wants them come February and March to be the ones doing the challenging of each other. And that's a moment where you look at it and you think, just like the Stephen Izzo basket, maybe this is building towards something, um, but there's a lot of work to to make that happen. The game was one of those moments where I think, you, you know, for all the frustrations this team has um, given people, and I, I do think it was one of those games, too, where you see what a the the strength of the program right in that moment you see the you see what's been built and you see one of the more impressive things about what Tom Izzo has done and maybe his greatest achievement is the high floor you know that yeah. only in the COVID year have they ever finished uh, below 500 in Big Ten play they you know Michigan is two and eight uh, they have you know Tom Izzo is is a head coach is is the longest streak of NCAA tournament berths of any head coach, right? That's that's yeah. impressive. All time and active now. Yeah. There there are there is just there is a floor that's really, really high. And when you see a team in, in a program in Michigan shape, that you know, in and I think that's just something that should be appreciated. Now the question is the ceiling and that to your point earlier with Izzo saying, you know, there are bigger goals still and and he does. And I, I think he is you know, it was interesting last night he was pretty Pretty definitive on the idea that there are more years to go and and more you know more wins to be had and he's not close to done. I think he is enjoying being Tom Izzo a little too much. Not not too much. Um, that's I didn't mean too much in that sense, but too much <laughs> to give it up. Like he, I think he enjoys 
I think he enjoys his role in the university. I think he's enjoying coaching. I think he's enjoying his family. I think he's enjoying his program still, even when it sometimes doesn't look like it. I don't know what else he would do. That doesn't mean he'll coach forever, forever. Like I also think there's a chance we won't see it coming, Chris, when he when he steps down at the end of the year. So, I but I I, 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 it's, I certainly don't think it's this year. I don't think he intends it to be next year. Um, and so, uh, you know, I think there's uh, I would say a fifty fifty shot. Ah, maybe not fifty fifty. Getting to eight hundred. And so the question is, you know, what what he can get out of the program in terms of ceiling and and what is there another title? Is there another couple years in true contention? And then more present tense, is there, is this team have a chance to, um, to be one of those teams surprisingly? Like we talk about this team not being a bubble team. Well, one of the bubble teams was 2014-15. Yes, we watched was. that team at this point of the, this point of the year, I remember a conversation with junior Matt Costello in the locker room and he basically said, this is not a lot of fun. We're miserable. They were definitely on the bubble. They had not figured things out yet. And they did team full of really good guards that couldn't shoot free throws. Yeah, it was a it was a weird season. That, like one of the most interesting things about that year was that Travis Trice was eighty six percent, and I could have these a little wrong, but this is my my, my memory eighty six percent free throws on the road, sixty percent at home, and it had a lot to do with the crowd got to the point where everybody was just so tight every time he got to the line yeah. that it, it it started to seep in I, and. It was a it was a weird it was a weird dynamic. Now that team, and then once they got to the the Big Ten tournament and on neutral floors, they were hitting all the free throws. The, sometimes you just don't see those things coming together until they do. Yeah, this team is better than that team in in certain ways. I, I don't know. There's is there a Brandon Dawson on this team? Maybe Cohen Carr, but he's a freshman, not a senior. So here's what I'll say to that: This team is better than that team was right now, or or was at this point in the season. Um, has better guards than Travis Trice was at this point. Uh, Tyson Walker is better than any guard they had on that team at this point. What you had that year was Travis Trice then went nuts and became a very different player. Uh, it just became a, a guard who could carry you. Uh, I think um, Denzel Valentine figured out that he had to start really leading and, and, and he played at a different level and Dawson was a big part of that. And so, yeah, they became a really good team. So the question and is... And Bryn Forbes. No, I mean, that's another NBA guy right there. I mean, you had two NBA guards along with Trice. Yeah, but nobody knew that Valentine or Forbes were going to be NBA guys at that point. Right. They weren't NBA guys at that point. I was, you know, my, uh, you know, our friend James Edwards covers the Pistons, who's, you know, went to MSU, was just saying out, was lamenting this this roster uh, as being like the worst of his lifetime, and a he's not twelve years old, so he's wrong. And I, I, I named like <laughs> eight rosters that were worse for him. But the the bigger thing is, he said, "Well, those teams had pros, eventual pros. Sometimes, sure, this team may have an eventual pro. You can't say, well, like for twenty years from now, people might say, well, Xavier Booker was on that team, and he was winds up being a pro. Like, yeah, but he's not a pro now. Nobody sees it now. Like that team didn't have pros at that point, and." And this team from the, the end of January point is it is it a is it a better place? So the question then becomes: Is this a team that can find a gear? You know, is can Jaden Akins, who probably has the most room based on expectations for this year, to do more than he has and had a great game? Like if that guy gets hot and that guy becomes a five point a game better player than he's been, and starts being just a menace beyond the three point line and doing other th- and, and playing consistently defensively, that changes 
their ceiling. You know, it, Walker, I think you're right, is banged up, and I think that's something to watch. He was, you know, kind of holding his groin. He's had the hip stuff. He's, he's a small guard. He gets beat up. Yeah. He plays through it. They need him healthy going down. But and and you know, Hogard, we we've seen moments where he takes over things. Things could get cooking for this group in certain ways. The the, the problem ultimately is though, you can talk about all that stuff and 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 maybe they and, and against certain matchups, we see what they can do against Baylor where they just run over somebody who's really good. The problem is on the interior with the rebounding and who they are down there. It's just I don't know. You know, th- there are just matchups they're going to run into where they're going to need to blitz people in other ways and be creative and maybe play. Who knows? I don't think they'll ever play smaller. But just look at the next three games that they've got. I mean, they got Maryland, they've got at Minnesota, and then they got Illinois. Two of those three at home, but they've played all three of those teams. All three of those teams have shown that their bigger lineups can make an effect uh, in the game. Uh, Illinois has got a lot of length on the perimeter in, in different things that caused issues. And, you know, I, I thought that even uh, – I thought Michigan State did a decent job on their post players in the game down there. But they also add Terrence Shannon. You also, kind of going back to the Walker thing, all three of those teams played aggressively and really physically on – Tyson Walker. So the Aikens breakout game comes at an important crossroads because you know what that team, those next three opponents are going to do with Tyson Walker. They're going to bump him. They're going to chuck him. They're going to try and knock him to the ground. They're going to hit him on every screen to try and wear him down. And, you know, I I don't know if it was a groin or or kind of like the thigh area. He's had the hip issue. He's taken some hard falls. Um, You know, some of that stuff's not even just of his own doing as a hard-nosed player. Some of that is, quite honestly, the way the defenses are are game planning for him. And the book's out there. You you body him up and you get a 5 for 14, 0 for 6 game. Uh, and But you can't account for a Jay Nakins at that point. You can't account for A.J. Hogar going downhill. By the way, when you I, I wanted to bring this up when you were talking about Sissoko. The mid-post screen that he set for Hogard. Uh, early in that second half that Hogard slipped around in, in the middle of the paint for a layup to kind of really jumpstart things. There's, there's, those are things that are really, I mean, they go under the radar on why Madi Sissoko is on the court. Um, that was an yeah. excellent screen, and it, they need to do more of that to get Hogard to the rim and, and get him finishing around there because if Walker's banged up enough, you can take some of that pressure off him and – Quite honestly, they need additional scoring in case that's that's an issue. Now, Soko as a screener is one of the you know one of the reasons he's on the floor because he's just a little, you know, he's one of those guys who's, and I mean this in the nicest way, but he's he's just good enough to get you beat if that makes sense. Like he's good enough to be on the floor, but he uh, but he doesn't win the matchup. And and one of the, his problems is one of the challenges he has is he's really not that tall, and so he winds up with a lot of rebounds. He can't quite get to um in, in matchups but you, again you know that about him and you, you know at this point I think you know who he's going to be as a player and, and you don't overplay him and you try to get the, the strengths out of him and you try and get the most out of this team the next three games you, you bring up are, are interesting in, in the sense that you're right you, you you're very aware that these are the second times you're playing these teams um Minnesota was better than I think anybody thought when they played at Breslin no doubt uh, and and they were without their point guard, but as Izzo said that day, that actually caused them bigger problems because of the size. So that could be that could be interesting to watch how that matchup changes. Um, the 
Maryland was on the road, and, and obviously there's a great first half by Michigan State, hung on in the second half. I, I, I think Michigan State will – Maryland, historically in recent years, has been a tough matchup for MSU, but I, I do think at Breslin – with some of Maryland's offensive challenges, Michigan State will get that done. I think it's a good matchup in that sense. Teams that are challenged offensively tend not to keep pace uh, at Breslin. And so can you take care of business in, in, in two games that are not gimmies, but you ought to win, even at Minnesota, and and, yeah. and set up a game against Illinois where, you know, I know that's at home and the, the truth is more on the road. Just I mean, and, But you would ultimately – you get a sense to really judge yourself against a quality team, a type of team you might see in a Sweet 16, and that's what this team's going to need, those judging points. You don't get a ton of them. You get The Big Ten's not as good this year. You're going to get Illinois. Then, obviously, Purdue's like a top-tier team in Mackey, and that's a, a, a difficult test as all heck, but you, you figure out some things there. And the, the problem with facing Purdue this year is not only are they really good, not only is Mackey unlike other arenas, but... Zach Eady is unlike anybody else too, so it's not really a fa- like that's a big man matchup that's just to the nth degree. Um, then you get Northwestern at home; it's like an early round tournament team, uh, you know. So there's still some some challenges where you can challenge yourself, but you, but you do need to keep picking up wins. You should win these next two games, um, and and uh, and then you know we'll. If they do, we'll, you know, we'll obviously talk about yeah. that going into the Illinois game next week. Well, you know what? You know what's an interesting thing. I mean, we the Maryland game uh, in College Park. And I don't know if we've reconvened. I think we maybe did a podcast, but there were the students weren't back uh, from break from winter break at that point. MSU catches another favorable scheduling quirk at the end of the year when they go to Indiana and they're on spring break. That's. Yeah. I mean, that's. That's a, and not to mention the fact that Indiana has been reeling, and who knows where they're going to be come the end of that that part. I mean, they may be playing things out. They may be looking for a new coach at that point. Um, but not having Assembly Hall at full capacity is another plus in a tough environment for this for Michigan State as always. No, definitely, definitely a helpful uh, situation. Let's, and, um, and and looking ahead to the barn, I mean, that's always. I mean, listen, they've had success there. But they've also had a ton of dog fights at the barn for some reason or another. The elevated floor um, is a difficult place for Michigan State. They've they've had some real challenging wins there. Um, so that's something else to keep in mind with what's left. Then the the other road games that remain along with the Purdue and Indiana, they've got at Penn State, which I mean that that could be a coin flip. Sometimes I mean they, they've beaten some teams. I mean, you can't ignore that, and and they've got to obviously go make the return trip to Michigan, which will be a little bit different of an environment than Breslin. So there's there's some tough road games in the last five, um, but you, you, they're winnable games for sure, like we've talked about. Let's talk a little football before we wrap. Um, and uh, you know, and, and obviously MSU hockey too has a, has a lot really interesting things going on. I mean, the, the fact they split with Michigan in, in Minnesota. And sort of the way they did them, you know, dramatic victories in the, in the games they won against those two teams is good and bad. I mean, you know, they could easily have been zero and four or zero three and one, and they trailed late in those games, but uh, or trailed at one point significantly. But uh, you know, obviously, Michigan State hockey is has a real chance to play for a Big Ten championship, and that game against that series against Wisconsin and Madison. Could be for everything, and uh, in, in, in regards to that, at, at the beginning of March. Yeah, you might get the veggie plate, the nitty gritty yet. 
Yeah, I mean, who knows? I could be back, back the, headed that way. I, I will say this: that I think I, I saw they dropped a seven in the pairwise, um, yeah. which would take them out of a, a one seed uh, situation. Yeah, they've been seven for a couple. Couple, they dropped to seven after the Michigan series. Yeah, I mean, but they were up to number two. But there's there's still some there's still time left to bump that um, and some series left to to kind of get back into that first. I mean, it's funny because with with Michigan State men's basketball, you you see them trying to push for a, a double buy right now as one of the third or fourth teams uh, to get a double buy and play on Friday. The Michigan Michigan State hockey teams on the other end looking for a, a top one or one to four seed in the NCAAs right now. So it, it's amazing how quick that's changed. Yeah, no, and, and it's, you know, and they're going to be in the NCAA tournament, which is just, that's just pretty much a sure thing at this point. And that's, I mean, I think this year for MSU hockey, because they haven't been there. And I think one of the, one of the things last year's hockey team did unintentionally for this year's team by not quite making the tournament and being one win away is they left that first for this year's team, which makes, which just gives this year's team, and obviously, you know, if they can make a deep run, and more than just getting in the tournament, I think is a goal for this team. But it allows that to be a little bit, all that to be gravy. Like the tournament is the fun thing. They haven't been in so long. Just getting there, I think, would be would be um, would be something significant. And taking your shot, I also think they should have they got you know they should have some home home games in the in the Big Ten tournament, which they is something they haven't had. Um, so there's a, there's a lot of fun stuff with the hockey going on and they've got, um, it is not a, you know, it's not a perfect roster and you see at times where they're, um, but they are just so much better than they've been in years past and, and how they play out of the back. It, this is also subliminally your same take on the lions that they got there. It's all gravy. And then next year <laughs> they've got the chance to get to the Super Bowl. right? I'm writing, I'm reading the same script right here. <laughs> the, um, the, yeah, no, it's, it's, and, 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 you know, before we actually move on to football, one other thing to bring up with basketball in terms of Big Ten tournament, uh, some news that came out yeah. this week is is the you know the Big Ten staying at twenty games when it expands to eighteen teams, but only fifteen making the Big Ten tournament. I really love this, and I'll I'll tell you why. Now I don't love eighteen teams in the Big Ten. I don't think it's necessary for basketball. Uh, I don't think a lot of things they're doing for football are necessary for basketball. I don't think they're great, and it also you know hurts. That sort of having a true champion out of the regular season because it's going to be where you play teams and win and very few double plays and all that sort of stuff and um but but it's so it, no different than fourteen right yeah but it, it gets even worse but the the Big Ten tournament becomes by having fifteen of the eighteen in I think it's important most teams get in because you want people playing for something late into the year but it, it when the cutoff line is fifteen pretty much everybody is going to be in the hunt for fifteen. Until the very end, so you're going to have the bad team still playing to get to something, and and it keeps it from being a little too cumbersome. It's only one more team; it's no more rounds uh, in in the Big Ten tournament. So I actually like the way they did that. It's not quite relegation, but it's a it's a form of like, hey, we're cutting this off at this point, and and to have any postseason, you have to have a baseline of of you know competency that's the top, you know, fifteen. You know who really likes this? Is the athletic directors at those bottom schools that don't have to pay for flights and hotels and meals and everything for, for a, a team that's not going anywhere. for a one and done trip to some far off yeah. city? I mean, that's the other thing. I'm I'm going to be curious to see because we're going to Minneapolis this year for the first time for the Big Ten tournament. Where's the next few going to be? I mean, that's going to be fascinating to see how with the conference expansion, what that's going to look like and where it's going to be. Because I mean. 
15 teams. You got four on the West Coast. You would imagine after taking it to New York and, and Washington at some point, their mindset is we want to take it to L.A. at some point. We want to take it to Seattle at some point because, I mean, that's just how the Big Ten has been trying to market this as a coast-to-coast league. And um, then you've got – you know, it's like it's like watching those uh, West Coast Conference games. You know, we'll be watching games at at midnight, one o'clock in the morning, deep into March, which is which in some ways as a basketball guy, it's fun to to do. But you know, it it, it everything's based on TV as we know now. Um, really has been for some time. Uh, now it's just it's the trickle up effect in this because I mentioned those West Coast Conference games being played deep into the night. Now. It, that's going to be the Big Ten. It's trickling up to the major conferences that that it's going to be an all night affair um, between that and Pac twelve, the old Pac twelve after dark dark spot spots for the Big Ten football. So, but yeah, I, I'm I don't know. I mean, do you, what do you think in terms of? Because I know people want to go to some different places. Washington, I don't think got the kind of vibe that they were looking for and I don't know if New York really even did when they were there. New York well I think those are two yeah you got to be strategic. So here's the thing what makes conference tournaments great in the old Big 10, the Big 10 and that's why this year isn't great. Um if we consider this still the old Big 10 is because the great thing about a conference tournament and this works best in the Big 10 and doesn't work for everybody but works best in the Big 10 uh in Chicago or Indianapolis. Yeah. is you, you go to a conference tournament and it, you know it's drivable if your team loses, you can leave. If your team gets on a run and you're at home and you're like, hey, let's go for the weekend. This is cool. You go scalp a ticket. People are leaving or you buy a ticket. You get in. That's the fun of conference tournaments. When you have these places that aren't drivable and you do these destinations, you, you lose that. Like, I mean, even guys like you and I are looking at like, okay, when do I book the flight home? When do I book the flight there? Um, and, and, you know, we get paid to do it. It's not a big deal. But I'm saying fans who are doing that, it's a, it's a cost analysis. It becomes important that you don't put this anywhere that people don't want to be. The reason New York worked, and somehow D.C. didn't, and D.C. you would think would, and I think the fact that it, I, you know, I don't know why it why it didn't. People didn't want to make that trip at that time. D.C. is a cool mm-hmm. place. People like going to New York. You have to put it in places where people are willing to spend the weekend beyond basketball. People will go to L.A. Hey, we'll go to L.A. for a, for a long weekend. We'll watch our team. If our team loses, you know, so be it. Um but if you put it in, in in Minneapolis, which is a great city, but in March is not a city that's a destination for people, you're not going to have great attendance a lot of times. And so you have to even think like that. You have to start thinking, I think, about putting the women's tournament paired with it. Um, because, And I think that's one of the things the Big Ten does not do well, is if you put the, Big Ten, the women's tournament coinciding in terms of fan bases, getting to see both. Like this year, the women's tournament, like every year, is the week before. And not a lot of people go because of that. There will be a lot more people that would go, hey, our women's team is playing. We're going to go see them too. You, you, you do have to find a second venue. You can, you know, but most of these cities have that capability. Um, and it's just, it, it's something that should be done. And then to me, the other thing is if you really want the Big Ten tournament to matter, you got to move the, the final off of Sunday. Um, it's always going to be an exhibition. The big, what I love about the Big Ten, that's not the same everywhere, is the regular season is the champion. It is a separate tournament championship. It is not as big as the regular season. It will never be in my eyes um, because too many teams check out, I wouldn't say intentionally, but they're happy to go go home. But it's still a really cool event, and if they do it right, it can be it can be a great deal of fun. Yeah, I don't know. That's the sort of the women's tournament thing is, I mean, you're going to probably always run into some sort of Title IX snag 
with that, uh, which I think equal and separate is going to be. It's it, it, it's always been one of those issues. I, I mean, Indianapolis seemed like it would have been a perfect place to try and do something like that. But then wh- where are you going to hold the women's tournament? Are you going to hold it at a smaller venue? Well, now you got some some equity issues so but and and there's going to be challenges i mean heck we're already seeing the challenges we talk about the big 10 news with the basketball i mean the ncaa getting sued in tennessee and virginia is a massive story uh over basically trying to eliminate any and all rules against nil so um (laughs) who knows how long this this big 10 tournament thing's gonna even last and how it's gonna work you know, it's, I mean, we're yeah. at a weird time in college sports across the board in a lot of different ways. One of the things, the, the, the women's tournament in terms of equity, I've seen it done, you know, I covered the Mid-American Conference, go figure, people people are st- amazed by that. But I covered them when, for a while, they were playing both the uh, men and the women the same week. And the worst thing they did at one point was when they were both at Cleveland, all at where the Cavs play. And you would get these Tuesday afternoon, noon game, women's games in front of, 20 people yeah. that are not a great experience. And one of the things that, you know, the women uh, administrators and athletic directors and, and coaches finally realized in that league, I think, was, and, and, and certainly you want the, the, like if you're in Minneapolis where you have a number of big venues, you want the, the semis and the championships all at the same big venue. Um, but it wasn't about, the, the question had to stop be, being what do the men have? And start being what's best for us, right? And and when you start asking that question, you you get the best scenarios for women's basketball. Maybe it's to leave it the week it is. I think it would be the week, um, the week of. But I I, I do think that yeah. the, uh, the same week of. But but I think that is the question that should be asked all the time. What is best for the women's game? And start there, not what do the men have, um, because that gives you the best I think environment and best experience for for the student athletes. Do you talk about the difference in the NCAA tournament and the women have gone to the home sites, um, you know, home site hosts for the first few rounds? Um, yep. I mean, what's to say that the Big Ten tournament doesn't go that route on both ends? I mean, you're talk- talking about potential extra revenue for home games, I mean, and, and stuff that wouldn't be on a season ticket package that you can charge a premium for in some ways, depending on a matchup. I don't know. I mean, I, I think there's still a lot of questions that can be answered and it will be answered in the future. And I mean, especially with athletic departments looking to seek as much revenue as possible right now with all the all the financial constraints. Doesn't matter how much is going to come in from the Big Ten TV deal here in in 2024, 2025. I think it's when it really starts to kick in. Um, there's there's still a lot of money that that is needed to operate that's going elsewhere. I mean, quite honestly, the type of donors support that you're getting now is in some ways lessened because that money's now going into NIL funds. So it, it, it it's a complex time. And, and I, I think it's going to be interesting to see how the administrators across the board, not just in the big 10, but across the country address some of those issues. I mean, maybe, I mean, do you think we'll ever see a time when the NCAA tournament goes back to home sites for the men? I mean, it's hard to say, but but the, the big thing they can't the big thing they can't do with the the NCAA men's tournament is you know, uh, is they can't screw it up. In ter- like this right. is you want to kill college sports. You double if you double the if you screw up the NCAA men's tournament, you that is that will be that will be the, the biggest threat to the NCAA in a lot of ways. That is their baby. It's the thing people love. Do not mess with it. And if if 
you know, I always joke about this stuff like, you, you, you know, people who th- think the four-team playoff was the way to go, that ought to be the first line in their obituary. If you are part of screwing up this NCAA tournament, it ought to be the first line in your children's obituaries. That ought to be like a legacy thing that ruins your family because uh, this is too good. Do not, do not, do not, do not, do not, do not. There is zero, 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 zero argument for messing with with a um, a pretty good thing. Yeah, no, what, you know, it's interesting because when you talk about the finances of all this, like, I, they are preparing, uh, you know, for the idea that you're going to have to pay players. I think that's something you have to look ahead. Yeah. If you're an administrator right now, you know, you have to start budgeting and thinking that way. Um, one of the things Alan Haller said, you know, a couple years ago when this these deals started to be talked about in terms of, you know, 60, 70 million annually from the, the media rights deal is you're going to see people's priorities when that money starts coming in. And so there's non-revs and, and you know, what, you know, how do you support all your athletes and where, where are your priorities as a school? It's a fascinating time. I think it's a dangerous time for college athletics. Yes. It's a time of change. Um, but, uh, you know, it would be very interesting to like fast forward five years, 10 years, and then be able to snap back and have an understanding of where it's all going. Cause I don't have uh, a great sense. This sport that is driving it, of course, is football. Uh, and Michigan state football will play its first, uh, open action of sorts, whatever it will be, a spring showcase, a game, a scrimmage, a concert, who knows? Who knows what it'll be? But it, it is April 20th at Spartan Stadium. It was announced. What what, what day is it again? I, I did forgot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Four, 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 a little 420 action. Oh, my, um, my, my mind's a little cloudy on that one. You know how I feel about spring games. That's all that is. But no, but it will be an interesting spring. I think it'll be a spring people would like to be there because it is a new coach. The springs that draw well, weather always is the first dynamic that draws people to spring yep. game but then it's new quarterback and new coach and they've got both of those things so if you get a day that is like 55 degrees or better you're gonna get um you're gonna get a crowd on on april april 20th to watch uh what will be uh, an interesting day to, to to watch for sure well we'll see how big of a crowd i mean it's i, I think even in the the best of times you know drawing a crowd for that can and has been challenging. I remember the one year where Mark D'Antonio wanted, I think, what, 50,000 uh, that he was trying to get, and they got a real substantial uptick. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how Jonathan Smith approaches this in terms of marketing it and pushing it and what the format is going to be because, you know, listen, this is this is kind of like 2021 uh, Mel Tucker spring. You know, who are these guys? You know, you're going to need a program to look at the program uh, just to figure out who these guys are because there's going to be so many new and different faces, and that's, you know, that's the portal era. I mean, but it's a little more normal now, I guess normalized in some ways for fans uh, than it was just three years ago. But still, um, you're going to get a chance to see guys like Aiden Childs, assuming that he's healthy, how he produces and what he looks like. I I mean – it, it and more importantly, I think fans will get at least uh, a little taste, a little appetizer of what Jonathan Smith football looks like, and I think that's the bigger thing going into the, the fall of his first season is how are you going to change the program? That's I think where this is fascinating. What 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 changes can I see in whatever format they do, whatever limited capacity in the two hour TV block? that it's all about now, uh, what it's going to look like. You can also 
pencil this weekend in for future spring games. If you're looking to schedule it, it's always going to be this weekend. I'm going to tell you why. The next weekend is almost always the NFL draft now. Now, there may be a, a weird year where the calendar hits oddly and there's you know, a different East or different uh, whatever. But Michigan State, is as long as Michigan State is a candidate for the Frozen Four, which is the week before, and the NFL drafts the week after, I can tell you when the spring game is going to be. So that is uh, that is just that is something to uh, to note um, from here on out. Know what I would have done? What's that? If I in my uh, putting on my Mark Hollis hat, I would have moved Michigan State spring game to the Saturday of the NFL draft at Ford Field. <laughs> for t- you're, you're, hey man, you're marketing it to put it after the put it after the draft or put it before the draft starts. Give people a chance to walk in and see your product. Yeah, the problem is that that, that the draft is supposed to be also a celebration of the players in yes. your program as they move on. So you got you want to give them the yes. focus in that. Well, time. and the other problem is your last game was at Ford Field. You kind of want to make use of the stadium that you you've got on campus. Yeah, you don't want to go to Ford Field for a little while if you're Michigan State. Um, I guess at some point you want to wipe that uh, that feeling out of things, but uh, play play the home play the home building for a while. Um, good stuff, man. Uh, we will be back next week after uh, the I'm, I'm, Michigan State plays at Minnesota Tuesday night. We'll both be in Minneapolis coming back Wednesday. So my guess is Wednesday or Thursday we'll do yeah. a, a pod heading into the weekend. Probably Thursday or Friday. I, I just think yeah from travel schedules and everything that the way it looks at the moment. Um, you know, heading into the Illinois game because we'll have, you know, two more games to to kind of assess and review for what probably uh, up until the Purdue game. I mean, Illinois and Purdue are going to be the last marquee opponents that Michigan State's probably going to face here in in the final ten. No, it'll be uh, yeah, it, it, it's it's going to be an interesting. And look, it, it, no matter what you think of the way things have gone for MSU basketball, if you like college hoops, if you like MSU basketball, this is sort of the beginning of the home stretch February and uh, this is when they've had many seasons turn and go well and um, and, and change the vibe late and uh, so should be should be fun we'll be back to talk about it uh, please rate subscribe throw fruit uh, whatever you do just give us a nice rating then you can say whatever you want in the uh, in the actual comments and we will uh, talk to you uh, next week thanks for listening this has been a production of the Lansing State Journal Detroit Free Press, and USA Today Network.